0: Hey now, We are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times Da-da. with the 304th edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back. Once again, it is Thursday, so you know exactly what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT, but this is going to be an AEW heavy episode of getting over because this also stands as our AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview. We are going to break down and predict every single one of the 11 matches on this card, and there is a very good chance it's well to 12 or 13 matches by the time Rampage is in the books on Friday. But we can only preview and predict what we have on this paper in front of me. I'm sorry. So that's what we are going to do on this show. We're also going to talk about a much improved edition of NXT as they are still on the road building for NXT in your house, which I thought was going to be a special edition of the TV show. Turns out it's going to be a premium live event on June 4th, one night before WWE Hell in a Cell. So imagine my surprise, not only to find that out, but now to know I have to do extra ultimate previews, extra live shows, and extra incident analysis. All next week that I was not planning, of course, to do. But we will get to all of that later. This is Getting Over, and we begin this show with a reminder that Getting Over is all about five. So please, folks, head on over to Apple Podcast and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let everyone know why you listen, why you subscribe to this show, and why they should do the same. Word of mouth is great. I hope you are telling your friends family, co-workers, et cetera, to cetera, fo- to listen to us and follow us. Uh, but, you know, leaving those reviews helps as well because we like when strangers come uh, and listen to us and find us out of nowhere, which many of our listeners have done. Your reviews, your ratings help us get bumped up in the rankings and in the listings on Apple and Spotify, leading to more listeners. So please, please, please leave those ratings and reviews for us. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at Getting Overcast. Not only do we drop every brand new show on Twitter, we occasionally report or share news that others are reporting on our Twitter account. And we offer live shows ahead of every major pay-per-view on Twitter Spaces. And wouldn't you know it, there's a major pay-per-view coming out this weekend and we will have a AEW Double or Nothing pre-show live on Twitter Spaces. So do not forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. And when that uh, reminder link drops, be sure to hit that reminder. You will get a notification on your phone or desktop, and you'll be able to join in on those conversations. Uh, Yeah, that's what I got, Chris. With all of that out of the way, let's bring you in. Vintage Chris Vanini is here joining me for the ultimate preview of AEW Double or Nothing. And Chris, my uh, general overview for this pay-per-view before we get into breaking it down, and then we'll talk about NXT at the end of the show. My general overview is this. On paper, really good wrestling card. Like, we have an opportunity to get some damn good wrestling matches at Double or Nothing. But from a storytelling perspective, from an emotional attachment to what we're going to get on the show, I am nowhere near as enthusiastic about it as I was for Revolution a few months ago.
1: Yeah, good Good to be here. <sighs> third straight week I'm doing the the a w pod had to had to jump on for the the ultimate preview after the last couple of weeks um I know a couple of weeks or months ago, I think you were doing this pod with with covid and i think end uh, of january it, yep. yeah it it eventually made its way to me through the podcast airs now I tested positive this morning I'm feeling fine I'm just a little cruddy, but uh yeah, just uh Everybody gets got at some point, I guess, and uh, ha- ha- grateful to be vaccinated and boosted and all that stuff that uh, makes it not Absolutely. so bad. And uh, so I'll be chilling this weekend, getting ready for the pay per view on Sunday, which is cool. I, I it's nice to do Sundays in the off season, uh, football off season. Um, yeah, this is you know with AW cards, pay per view cards, they're always so long and and, and big. And it's, it's another one of those where I, just, I look at it and I feel like you could just chop off several things and it'd be a great, great card. It is going to be a great wrestling match, but I think a lot of the stories coming in have been not so great. Not a ton of work put into them. That doesn't mean I'm not going to love the show and, and, and the wrestling involved, like you said. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it is something that kind of has been the case with AEW sometimes, that not all the stories going into the paper are, are, are that deep.
0: It, this feels very surface level. I mean, a number of matches kind of just put together recently and thrown onto the card. Really, my, in my opinion, just to get people on the card, you know, so they can increase the buy rate. So if you happen to be a fan of the Hardy Boys, right? Or the Young Bucks, and they don't otherwise have a match, we we force them on here. And I, I guess there's something to be said for when you have a pay-per-view only once every four months to kind of, or I guess once every three months, technically once every three months to really like put your best foot forward and put as many people on it as possible. But here's the thing with that. When you have a pay-per-view once every three months, you have 12 episodes of Dynamite and 12 episodes of Rampage to build storylines for the pay-per-view. And I don't know, man, like I'm kind of looking at it here, you know, scrolling through really quick. There's like one match that I or two. I'm sorry. There's two matches that I feel have really good, long term, relatively deep storylines taking me into the pay per view, and I'll tell you what they are: MJF Wardlow, yep, and Death Triangle against House of Black because that's something that's been going on for a long time. There's been injuries and people have changed characters, and and they're not really featuring it on television much, but it is long term. Everything else on here, I mean, two of the matches are tournament finals. So that is the story, the tournament. But, you know, really, there's nothing else behind it right now. We don't even, by the way, right. know who's going to be in all of those matches right now. One of them we're still waiting uh, for a participant. But uh, the, the, you know what, the women's match, I, I, I digress. The women's singles championship match, Thunder Rosa, Serena Deeb, it's not a good story, but it does have a story as well. So I'm going to go with three, actually.
1: But I think pa- I think Page Punk kinda does. Again, it's not a great story. It's a tier two. It, it, so okay,
0: let's do it this yeah. way. Tier one, in my opinion, is the MJF match and the House of Black match. Then tier two, sure, Hangman Page Punk and Serena Deeb um, against uh, Thunder Rosa. But everything else on the card is thrown together. It it just really is. There's really no other way to put it. And you can say to me, well, what about Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho? They had a long thing. They did. But since when did that involve Brian Danielson and John Moxley? Two weeks ago. Out of nowhere, yeah. right? Uh, so, yeah, I just kind of look at this whole, this whole card as like, the wrestling is going to be fantastic. And it could still be an A or A plus pay-per-view. No question mm-hmm. about it. If they put their best foot forward with everything that we get. But going into it, am I as excited as I was about Revolution? No, I'm just not.
1: No, and I think Revolution—that was one of the most excited I think I'd been for a AEW pay-per-view in quite Absolutely. some time. Yes, they did. A, they did a great job building up to that one. So you know, it, it is what it is. It's been what three years now of AEW. Mm-hmm. Made it through the pandemic. Uh, you know, doing another double or nothing show. It, it's been remarkable to just kind of see how far this company has has uh, uh, gone, and it's 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 cool to see them. You know, three years in. This is the longest we've really had a, a true competitor for, for WWE, so uh, I, I think the, the celebration kind of this weekend on Dynamite a bit going into Rampage and, and Double or Nothing, uh, they got a lot going on, and I'd love to be there in Vegas for the show, but uh, uh, I'm sure it's going to be a good time.
0: Yeah, you've actually gone to a bunch of AEW shows. I've had basically no opportunity. Yes. The only time they come down here is they go to a really deep part of Miami, which is a hell of a drive for me. Uh, it was mostly right after the pandemic. And the cards weren't really good enough for me to make the effort. So I still haven't been to an AEW show. I would love to go to one. It seems like a blast, but I mean, yeah. you've actually gone. You've gone to a bunch.
1: Yeah, I've gone to three of them here in Dallas. And I'm actually going a month from now when they go to Detroit for the first time. I'm going with uh, my brother up in Detroit. So oh, cool. uh, yeah, that'll be fun. Not, I haven't been to a pay-per-view though. I, I'm, I'm not sure how pay-per-views are in person though because of how long they are. And this will be
0: another one. Oh, five hours nonstop. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it is rough. Uh, so, Chris, you know, I want to break down for everyone else how the show is going to go, just so everyone knows what to expect. Uh, we're obviously going to talk uh, AEW. We'll, we'll mention a couple things that happened on TV that as of right now, at least don't directly impact uh, Double or Nothing. We'll then get into our AEW Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview, where we break down every match from low card to main event. Uh, you know, previewing them, discussing what happened on Dynamite and Rampage and providing our predictions and what we think is going to happen storyline wise going forward. And then on the back half of the show, we will talk about the latest edition of NXT. Uh, If right now you're listening to it and, you know, whether you've already listened to the AEW portion of the show or you just want to hear about what happened in NXT, please be sure to hit our episode descriptions. We will have timestamps for every segment of the show. You know exactly when to jump around to hear what you want to listen to. But as I always say on these shows, folks, please listen to the entire thing. It is my hope that even if you don't watch AEW, you should want to know what's going on uh, with the company. So Chris, before we get to the Double or Nothing Ultimate Preview, let's kind of get started with some stuff that happened on the show that maybe doesn't relate to the pay-per-view. On Rampage, the Men of the Year and Dan Lambert, they were in the ring with a mic again. Ethan Page got way too angry for no reason whatsoever, saying they exposed Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti, which I don't even know how they exposed them. Didn't make sense. Scorpio Sky demanded his belts back from Sammy. He appeared on screen with them. Sammy did with a sledgehammer uh, demanding a match. Didn't say what match, just wanted a match. I had no idea what he was talking about. TNT title match, mixed tag team match. Sammy then hit the belt uh, and started making out with Conti. Then Frankie Kazarian appeared and kept hitting the belt more. Uh, On Dynamite, we then had Lambert bragging that he knows belt makers and has a new championship arriving for Sky on Rampage. That was it. Uh, This was just horrendous. Uh, This thing gets worse and worse every week. First of all, why are they destroying the title? Doesn't Sammy want it back? And... It was also his. It was his design with extra jewels and stuff. So why are they ruining the thing that he created for himself? And then they only broke one of them, not both of them. So what was the point when there was an extra? Now, I'm sure Sky is going to get a unique one like Miro did, probably in Lakers colors. So he got upset in the ring that it was broken. Why would he even care if he knows that AEW can create new titles? And does Sammy, again, want a singles match? A mixed tag? Is it now going to be a six-person mixed tag because Frankie Kazarian is involved? And why are they going so deep into this when, as of right now at least, it's not on the pay-per-view? Most importantly, why do I have so many questions about a single storyline on a show? Here's why. Zero point
1: zero. It's a zero. Yeah, I just, I remain so confused at everything that is going on with this. Scorpio Sky turned face but now he's a heel again I think they're all heels everything you said there about the title are they doing a TNT title match or, or are they going to do a mixed tag like I, this has been going on for like more than a month I, I was at the Battle of the Belt show when uh, Sammy won it back I think it's also changed a bunch. I'm just yeah not much more to say other than every single week this is incredibly confusing
0: it's just it's literally getting like worse and worse as it goes. Yeah, and it's it's I, and I don't
1: know where it's going either. Yeah, because and, and you it. would it think changing. if they were gonna
0: do the mix tag on the pay per view, which I have to believe was their plan, you would think we've, we we would have seen Paige Van Zant recently. If she runs yeah, in I on guess. Rampage, if she runs in on Rampage and they add this match to the show, I mean, that I don't even. That's gonna be a mess, but. Okay, so something else that happened uh, on Dynamite that doesn't really relate to this pay per view. We had a Ring of Honor Tag Team Championship match, FTR against Rapongi Vice. Business picked up late uh, with Vice going on a big run, got a few near falls. They teamed up for a strong zero and would have pinned Dax Harwood if not for Cash Wheeler, pushing Rocky Romero into the fall. Right at that moment, United Empire from New Japan ran in for a very rare in AEW, not very rare in New Japan disqualification finish. They took out two guys hit a really bad move on Dax. And then, uh, Jeff Cobb hit tour of the islands on Rocky Cobb, then powerbombed Dax into a table and great. Ocon tried to do like a choke slam, but with a claw on the head into a table, but he didn't even lift his arm and Trent Trent literally, I'm not, not exaggerating. He jumped himself off the apron into a table. (laughs) Like it was like a video game or something like that. Uh, this is an example, uh, in my opinion, of AEW being up its own ass a little bit too much. On an AEW pay-per-view go-home show, we have a Ring of Honor title match interrupted by a New Japan team. Now, I presume this is going to be a Forbidden Door triple threat match, probably with Kabuto Khan as IWGP Tag Team Champions and both titles on the line. That is my assumption of what we're going to get. But could this not have waited until next Wednesday? Maybe with a little bit more explanation for fans. I, I I know New Japan, but I don't even know that much about Jeff Cobb and Great Okan. I know Okada. I know Ibushi. You know, I know the, the bigger, the biggest guys. I haven't really watched the product in a long time. You have to assume if you're AEW, the vast majority of your audience doesn't know these people. Commentary did technically explain who they were. Yes. But, and I appreciated them for doing that. But for that to be a run-in, which was supposed to be a big surprise and a big promotion of Forbidden Door... For them to not be able to then promote Forbidden Door and do a, um, a storyline afterwards where they say, hey, we should all fight. We want a title shot, whatever the case. That's why you do it next week after you get Double or Nothing out you know, out and, and over. You do it Wednesday, the first hour of the show. You begin building. Maybe you bring Okada in, you know, whatever the case they're gonna do next week. So I just thought it was weird and, and very strange for them to do it this way. It wasn't bad necessarily, and I'm not gonna hate on them doing a DQ. But I don't know.
1: It just felt kind of AEW up its own ass. Like I said, there there were a few things on this dynamite that had nothing to do with the pay-per-view. And I was just like, why are we doing this on the go home to your, one of your big four shows of the year? Why are we doing a ring of honor title match? Um, So so that that was weird from the beginning. Then we get essentially an invasion breakup. Like again, on the go home show to a different show, very strange to, to, Like you said, use that at this time. Uh, Credit to Excalibur, who did explain who everybody was right away and it immediately told you who they were. That that Mm -hmm. was very good, very important. Um, And he mentioned that Jeff Cobb had been in AEW before, like one time. So that was appreciated too. And told us what it was, who he was aligned with and what he did. Yes, Yeah, that was great. Uh, Jeff Cobb is awesome Um, every time I've seen him. uh, So that's cool. But yeah, it was just, uh, look, the segment itself, Fine, but just weird timing is all. Again, to do it on the, on the go-home, the New Japan interfering in a Ring of Honor match on an AEW show, like, it's just, it's a lot. It's right, funny.
0: that's what I was getting at. And and you have Trent, who's in Rapongi Vice, and where's the rest of Best Friends they ran in last week, but Rapongi Vice is the one getting the tag team match. Orange Cassidy is gone. It's just like, you know, Chris Statlander's not with them anymore. Are they, is that thing broken up? I don't know. It's just a lot of... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Like, not shenanigans. It's just a lot of... It's messy shit. Kind of all all thrown in together. Unnecessarily. Because, again, you're building for AEW Double or Nothing. That's what we're here to talk about right now. And you know what? That is what we are going to talk about in what can only be described, I would say, Chris, as the main event of today's show. This is the main event. So, as I said on the intro, strong wrestling card on paper from an in-ring standpoint. I'm not really emotionally attached to it, but we do have 11 matches to break down. There is a rumor off the top uh, that I just saw posted that a match may get added. It's not even a storyline match, so I don't mind necessarily saying it here because it's not, I'm not going to be spoiling anything for Rampage except maybe like a backstage promo or a quick attack. But there's a report out there that Darby Allin versus Kyle O'Reilly might get added to the show. And I mean, that's that would be a great match, but it just seems completely unnecessary for them to do that.
1: Yeah, that's uh, weird. Um, look, Darby, look, Darby versus Kyler Riley, Great match for sure. But like. I, you're all you already have an 11 match card. Uh, who knows what's happening with the TNT belt? I just I don't think you need it. But, you know, like A.W. fans are, you know, based on the last pay-per-views that they've done, the A.W. fans seem to. The, the the diehards, I mean, like we're all fans, seem to be fine with like four and a half hour shows. So I I don't know. It, so there's another thing going on. It, it, if if the Celtics and Heat play a game seven, that'll be on Monday a na- uh, Sunday night. And Tony Khan said the other day, I saw that if that happens and if there's overlap, he may push the main event back a bit to make sure that it doesn't get covered up. Oh, by the basketball could you imagine? Well, th- that that good. could be hard. could be adding matches to extend the show to push the main event back, or it's a match that they could develop into a
0: fight, like like they could do what WWE used to do occasionally. I didn't really love it when they did it, but they would run an angle on the pay per view and add a match to the card, so they could possibly yeah. do something like that. Yeah, yeah, I could Maybe. see that happening. If that if that match happens, Darby Allen wins. Um, I mean, I guess there could be. Technically elite interference, but everyone else is busy on the card, so I would assume that they wouldn't be at ringside. Maybe Bobby Fish would be. Sting isn't going to be there, by the way. There was a report, uh, or not a report, AEW announced that due to some injury thing, he's unable to travel, uh, so Sting is not going to be in Las Vegas this weekend, uh, so I don't know. I'll pick Darby if it happens. What about you? Um, I'll pick Kyle O'Reilly. All right, cool. So uh, let's get into this card. We're going to break down all 11 matches uh, with not only our thoughts on the match themselves, what happened on Dynamite and Rampage, but also a prediction. So let's start with the lowest point on the card, the buy-in. We have Hookhausen against Tony Nese and Mark Sterling in a tag team match. On Rampage, there was a training montage that was supposed to be funny. I thought it was okay. Not that funny, not unfunny, just kind of a smirk. As far as the match goes... Hookhausen is going to win. Like, I wish I could give you some deep analysis here. It would make no sense whatsoever in any universe for Nice and Sterling to win this match. Hook and Danhausen are over. Um, you know, I may think that the Danhausen stuff isn't for me, right? But that's OK. Hook is impressive. There's no way they're having this guy lose his first pay-per-view buy-in match ever. Would it make any sense?
1: So actually, I would put this story... Perhaps in that tier one of something that they have built for several <laughs> they weeks. Been. They technically so, have. So, credit to them yeah. for that. It is one of the most developed stories on this card. <laughs> hey, look, it's fun. <laughs> well, I, I've well, well Hook and Danhausen
0: together is. Nice yes, and Sterling yes, yes, are kind of yes, just, yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, this has been fun. Like, even if you don't, so, you know, we, we said for a while they never explained who Danhausen is. So, and, and they still never really did that. But, playing him off of hook, trying to befriend him, trying to get on his good side. Like eventually that that there was a connection you could make with what he was trying to do there. So this has been this has been fun. My pick is also Hookhausen, so yeah. It it'll be a fun little it, a, a great idea for a fun little buy-in match.
0: Now, I've seen some people list this as a buy-in match, but on on all official graphics from AEW, it is not listed as a buy-in match. Nevertheless, to me it's the Bottom tier, the second bottom tier match on the show, which is the TBS championship, Jade Cargill against Anna Jay. For me, this doesn't belong on the show, period. And if they're going to have it, it really should be on the buy in. Very low ceiling from an in ring quality standpoint. And it's an obvious title retention for Jade. So I don't even know what the point of it is. They literally just had Anna Jay run in and Jade say, okay, you want to be a challenger? I'll defend the title against you. Like, (laughs) <laughs> it was just, I don't, I don't, I don't understand why it's on the show. I really don't.
1: Right. It, it, look, AEW running the women's tournament took out a lot of the people that would be involved in the title matches. That's why you have Serena Deeb and Anna Jay with title shots on the show. And it's, it's nice that AEW does have three women's batches on a card. Yeah. You great. know, in, in theory. um, But this, right. This is not a pay-per-view quality match or story or anything it, it it just it doesn't need to be on this card and if you were looking for things to cut just in terms of importance this would be one of them so the the pick is jade you know hopefully it doesn't i assume it's not gonna take that much time but uh yeah so that's uh, that's why it
0: should be on the buy-in because you can make this a six-minute match throw it on the buy-in have jade win exactly. and move on with your life so yep hopefully they move it hopefully they move it. That's the best thing I can say. Let's get into the meat of this card. We actually have some professional wrestling to talk about here. Uh, Death Triangle against House of Black. I mentioned it earlier on Rampage. We had House of Black against Evil Uno 10 and Fuego del Sol. Dark Order did a Casadora into a cutter over the ropes. Then Uno did a Cannonball on off the apron for a near fall. Eventually, Malachi Black did a Moonsault outside. Buddy Matthews did a DDT on the ramp, and Brody King beat Uno with a Lariat and Pile Driver. It was a fine match, At the end, Penta Oscuro revealed a tombstone with House of Black's name on it. That happened after the bell. This is probably my most difficult match to predict um, on the entire show because I could make a case for both. On one hand, House of Black is pretty much newly established still, and they haven't really gotten the opportunity to really get over on someone or something. I mean, Malachi Black did beat Cody a couple times, but then Cody beat him, I think, at the end. Right. And since House of Black has formed, it hasn't really accomplished anything like it. It turned Julia Hart's uh, eye black, but then she didn't turn and join them. Um, Now, maybe there's a situation where she shows up and is the catalyst like she um, (laughs) distracts Pac or or Ray Phoenix or or Penta or something like that in the match. and, And it leads to that. And it's a big reveal. I think this is going to be an incredible wrestling match. We're about to get, and I, I really like Brody King. Don't get me wrong. So no nothing against him. But we're about to get Malachi Black, Buddy Matthews, Ray Phoenix, Penta, and Pack all in the ring together in a six-man tag team match. And then you have the big man, Brody King, there as well. So I think that this has an opportunity to steal the show. I don't think it's going to be mm-hmm. the best match on the show. But if they do it early, they could really get the crowd pumped up with a high-quality wrestling match. But again, you go back to like who should win and who should lose and what's AEW gonna do. House of Black has not really gotten that moment to get over. And then on the other side, you have Death Triangle and you can kind of say, you know what? They haven't died either, not in a real way because Pac is basically never there. They always beat Ray Phoenix and they always beat Penta. So who's gonna lose? It's either gonna be Matthews probably or any of the other three guys on the other team. I have to believe that they are still focused AEW. On building House of Black. So I'm going to pick House of Black to win. But in reality, like from what would make the most sense, really should be Death Triangle going over them because they're the ones who have been injured, who have been unable to finally get over this group that has been causing them so much hardship over the last few months.
1: Yeah, I, we're, there's going to be a moment in this match where we get Buddy Matthews and Ray Phoenix together one on one in the ring, and it's going to be insane. Awesome. Yeah. Like I, I'm really looking forward to that that moment. Um, I'm picking House of Black too, just because they feel like a bigger deal, and they haven't done anything. Death Triangle kind of loses all the time, or, or it's not really. They're very inconsistent, like you said. Pack's not always there. Um, so my my pick is House of Black. This is the this is the kind of match. That you maybe start the show off with, you know, you start off with those electric tag matches to get the, really get the crowd going. Um, so, yeah, the only thing I'd add unrelated is that uh, Alex uh, Aberhante is kind of the manager ish. Uh, he's sim to me, he kind of takes away from Death Triangle a bit Completely. because yeah. he's he's kind of goofy and he's like wearing capes and stuff like that. And look, look, he's the translator. I get it when Pac's not there. So it it makes sense. But like, if you just had just the three of them come out without him, to me, it looks, it just looks a lot better. Um, So I think they'd be better without him, but uh, picking house of black.
0: As a wise man once said, uh, I don't trust men in capes (laughs) and anyone who gets that reference, I appreciate. And if you don't, then I'm done with you. Uh, Yeah. Um, You know, Death Triangle, again, in storyline, they should really be the team that wins. But I will go with House of Black, just like you did. Let's keep going here. Uh, We have the Young Bucks against the Hardys. On Rampage, the Bucks made this challenge, which was strange, because it really seemed last week when we were talking about this, that they were going to do a multi-person match, like an eight-man tag team match or something. And then on Dynamite, Matt Hardy cut a promo about the Hardys growing up in a different era, the Bucks being the Hardys light, like the light version of the Hardys and their goal being to cement their legacy. Jeff said their goal was to win the AEW Tag Team titles and round out their collection. Matt said the phrase, never meet your heroes, was not fitting because for the Bucks, they should know that they can never beat their heroes. Uh, No surprise, the guys who know how to cut promos delivered really good promos on the Go Home Show. I'm not particularly excited for this match. I saw them fight in Ring of Honor. It was fantastic. I think that was like five or six years ago. Since then, Matt and Jeff have both gotten noticeably slower in the ring. And while they're fantastic, and I think they're going to do some crazy shit, and the match is probably going to be exceptionally good, there really just isn't a storyline here. Like, okay, yeah, I get it. The Bucks are the new Hardys, and that's a very simple thing to tell. But they made this match out of nowhere. I know you've mentioned that they built it via YouTube, being the elite. Well, I don't watch being the elite. And I don't know how many uh, views it gets on a weekly basis, but there's about a million people watching Dynamite. And I don't think it gets a million views every week. So a lot of the audience isn't watching it as well. I think it's going to be a really good match. I do not know why you would have the Hardys win here unless you just want like a big face pop on the show, which I guess is possible. The Young Bucks are in a faction right now that continues to be built strong. As far as I see it, they have to win. Uh, The only reason that if I was AEW, I would book the Hardys to win is because the Bucks won last time they fought. That could be one and one and then you would have a rubber match at some point down the line. I don't think that's the case. I'm going to
1: pick the Young Bucks. So, yeah, there was no build to this on TV. The build on BTE was actually pretty good. It it goes back, I want to say, more than a month or so, where the, the Bucks had lost a couple matches, and they were basically being very depressed and emo. And the Hardys talked them up and like kind of got them, got their mojo back to the point where the Bucks would talk shit about them behind their back, and the Hardys like liked that. It's it actually a pretty good build on PT. But again, it's not on TV. So most people are are, are not going to know that. Um I loved Matt Hardy's The Delete shirt.
0: Yes. Uh, playing, shirt.
1: playing off the elite, elite elite shirt. That was very cool. Um this so what this what this build really needs hasn't gotten it. I don't know if it'll have it on the show. It needs a video package. It needs a vignette of of past uh, work by these guys. Show both of them when they were working out as kids in their backyards, and in and, in and, and how they advanced in their careers. The Bucks talking about wanting to be like the Hardys. Like there is a natural story here that they just haven't told. And I know you can't take obviously the clips from WWE and stuff like that, but like surely all those other indies were the hardies where you could, you could s- put something together. Th- that's what WWE would do in the situation is build that story with some video package mm-hmm. of, of showing how far they've come and how similar the teams are and, and, and make it feel like a bigger deal. Cause frankly, it just, it doesn't right now. It just does not feel like that, that big of a deal.
0: This should be a but, really big match, like a yeah. really, really big tag team match. And they've done nothing to make it
1: feel that way. Yeah. So uh, who did you pick again? I picked the Bucks. I mean, I can see it going either way, but I'll pick the Bucks. Um, I'm going to pick the Hardys. I, right. I, I could see it going either way, too. I could see the Young Bucks just kind of wanting to to let the, the Hardys have it. I'm sure they'll do this match again, maybe at some point. Really, uh, really, I the, think I
0: think the, the outcome of this match is going to depend on what the decision that AEW makes with the tag team championships. If babyfaces remain the champions, then I think you have the Young Bucks win. If the Heels win, uh, which would be Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs, That is a team, or if they happen to win the championships, you could put the Hardy boys over them. It would make all the sense in the world for them to beat that team. So, you know, that is the one thing I'll say. I'm not changing my prediction, but as you watch this show, if somehow Starks and Hobbs win the titles, then I would expect, if that match happens before, I would then expect the Hardys to win. If it happens after and the Hardys have already won, then I think, hey, you know what? Starks and Hobbs winning makes a lot more sense than it may have kind of going into it. Now, that's not my prediction for that match, which is why I'm picking the Young Bucks here. That's a good point. That's a good point. Let's move on to the two finals of the Owen Hart tournaments, the the women's tournament and the men's tournament. We'll start with the women, uh, where we were still kind of waiting for the finals to get sorted out. So let's talk about what happened on Rampage and Dynamite, and then we can go ahead and talk about the match on the show. So first, Rampage. Uh, Chris Statlander fought Red Velvet. Stat kicked out a final slice, which is Velvet's finisher. Velvet then kicked out of a blue Thunderbomb. Velvet did a Casadora into a front slam for another near fall. Stat eventually countered a rolling fall for the win. And guess what? She got attacked immediately after the bell with Ruby Soho making the save. Jade Cargill then attacked and Anna Jay made the save. I'm convinced that doing two tacks, attacks and two saves and not letting Stat get over at all after her big win is purposely fucking with me. Because, I mean, they do it enough as it is, and they did it here as well. Uh, the post-match was absurd. I actually thought the match was really good. I gave it three stars on a B-. And it was my favorite thing on Rampage, to be honest with you. Uh, Cargill, as I noted, later offered Jay a TBS title match. So before we move on, did you have any thoughts about this?
1: Uh, n- nothing more than I really enjoyed the match. And, and Statlander is, is is very good. And you, she is. You wish She got a minute or so to actually... Uh, get the get the uh, uh, the, the heat or, or or the just kind of the push from getting that win. Yeah. Ew just have far too many times where somebody wins and there's immediately an attack and it just kind of takes away from the moment.
0: And it always feels like it's when a babyface wins too. Like the babyface never gets yeah. to enjoy anything. Yeah. Uh, so on Dynamite, Velvet gave Ruby Soho a notebook that had her notes on how to beat Statlander. Ruby threw it away, saying she knew she won by the skin of her teeth last time they fought. So now we I just realized this that we're not going to know the person in this match, the second half of this match until Friday night. So Soho against Statlander. Chris, who do you think is going to be in the
1: second half
0: of this uh, Owen Hart tournament final?
1: I think Ruby Soho is going to win. She uh has not had much of a moment yet since her debut and this feels like uh this feels like the time for that. So I say Ruby.
0: Okay. So let's move to Dynamite and see who uh, that person will be facing. By the way, um, I have no idea. (laughs) Like, you gotta make a pick. I I know, I'm gonna make a pick. Statlander really should be the one to win this. Um, She's immensely talented. She changed her character. She should be going on a run. But the fact that she wasn't in it initially tells me that they're gonna have Soho win. I mean, that. Yeah, that, it's as simple as that. Unless they made a total change in who they want to actually win the Owen. um, And and because of that, they put Statlander in here so she can beat Ruby and Ruby could lose to someone legitimate. Unless they did that, then I have to go with what the original plan was. And that seems to me to have been Ruby Soho. So on Dynamite, let's talk about the other half. We had Britt Baker against Tony Storm, which, by the way, probably should have been the final. If we're just being honest, uh, they went outside immediately with Baker putting Storm's head into the steps. Storm countered Pittsburgh Sunrise into a tornado DDT. She also did a hip attack and really rough Alabama slam. Then Baker hit a pretty rough air raid crash. Jamie Hader came down for no discernible reason. Baker got distracted, then hit a twisting neck breaker for a 2.8. Storm's nose got busted open. She hit a tornado DDT outside. Hader jumped on the apron and Storm knocked her off. They countered each other. The finish was supposed to be. Baker locking Storm's legs, and then Hater grabbing her hands for leverage. Instead, she only got one leg, couldn't get the other. Hater was late, so she grabbed the rope. And yeah, Britt Baker won in about nine minutes. The first two thirds of this match was, I guess, okay, right? Most of it was during commercial break. The last third was an absolute slop fest. The finish was obviously done to protect Storm, but AEW has beaten that finish to death with the women, especially with Britt Baker. And Mm -hmm. heaven freaking forbid AEW debut a hot wrestler and put them over. I mean, they finally got like a true number two female star in this division and had her lose to Baker because of course they did. Baker, by the way, individually, has not had a good match since the Thunder Rosa feud. It's been bad match after bad match. I know they want Heel versus face for the finals. And I guess they wanted Baker on a pay per view. But man, Storm and Statlander, if they went with that, that would have banged. And AEW could have actually showcased women's wrestling. We're going to get that with Serena Deeb and Thunder Rosa. We're going to get a really good match. They could have given us two really good matches. But again, heaven forbid they do that. Enough of Britt Baker at this point. She is in the process of becoming AEW Charlotte Flair. The difference, the difference. Charlotte can
1: wrestle. Well, Britt can Britt can wrestle. It's not, not on really. Charlotte's level, but she she's all right. And, and not really. The match was the 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 finish was clunky, like you said. And yeah, you Britt, Britt Baker, you you want to get her on the pay per view? You want to do heel for heel versus face for the championship. So so I kind of get it. But you're right that Tony versus Britt would have made sense for the championship just based on the feud that they had had going for a very long time. But that's not.
0: So who is your pick uh, to win? So you have Ruby Soho coming out of one half of the bracket. Yeah. And we know Britt Baker is the other half. Who is your prediction to win the Owen Cup for the women?
1: Ruby Soho. Um, this, is, this is something that I think generally, especially the first one, you probably want the face to win. You know, Ruby Soho and Britt Baker have a bit of a history. Ruby has not had that real crowning moment since her debut. Uh, And I I think this is it. So Ruby Soho.
0: So I'm really torn here. Um, First of all, let's put it this way. If Statlander is in this match, Britt Baker is winning. That's my first thing I'm going to state. I could see that. Um, If Soho is in this match, she really should win. Like like she should beat Britt Baker. She overcomes the Mm -hmm. obstacle. Baker is not champion. She doesn't need to be exceptionally strong right now. She can overcome a single loss to Soho and, and move on to a different feud. But it is not lost on me that Britt Baker's, what are they now? Are they fiancés yet? Boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, whatever. Her significant other, Adam Cole, is in the other match, in the final. And given the fact that Baker is even in this final match, I just have this really weird thing gnawing at the back of my head that the goal is to put over. Adam Cole, and Britt Baker together on the show. They celebrate together. They get heel heat, all that type of stuff. So I think your prediction is correct. I want to make it very clear. I think you are right that if it's Ruby Soho and Britt Baker, that Ruby Soho wins. That's what it should be. And I think that's what it would be if there wasn't this obsession with Britt Baker and AEW. So I'm actually going to go Britt Baker winning, even though it's against everything I believe.
1: I I can see it, though. You you laid out a a, a case for it to happen. I I, I wouldn't be stunned if that happened.
0: So let's go talk about the men's Owen Hart tournament. Final, we have Adam Cole against a opponent to be determined. And let's discuss who that opponent is right now. Because on Dynamite, we got the finals of the other half of the bracket, which would also be called the semifinals if I was just using proper terminology. Uh, Samoa Joe against Kyle O'Reilly. K.O.R. dropped a flying knee into Joe's shoulder. Joe hit a sent-on for a 2.5. O'Reilly countered a muscle buster into a submission, but Joe ended up reaching the ropes. They traded big kicks. Joe eventually countered a pinning combination into half of a rear naked choke. He then eventually got it locked in for the knockout victory in 12 minutes. Easily the match of the night. Uh, it was fun technical wrestling mixed with some really brute strength stuff from Joe, which I appreciate. I went 3.75 stars and a B+. Also at the end, Cole came out on the stage after the bell to stare Joe down and promote the finals of the tournament as Dynamite went off the air. This is kind of curious, right? You do have Samoa Joe with a championship. He's the Ring of Honor, I believe, television championship. Mm. Adam Cole, of course, was going after the AEW World Championship but lost, I think twice, if memory serves, to Hangman Adam Page. So, yep. you look at this match and you say, well, Cole's on a kind of a losing streak. He could lose again and theoretically it wouldn't hurt him that much, but if he beats Joe, he really, should, and this isn't WWE storytelling, but just logic. If he beats a guy who has a title, well, he should probably get a title opportunity after that, right? It would make sense. Um, so that's kind of what I think is going to happen here. Adam Cole beating Samoa Joe makes the most sense here. Joe, you know, winning the Owen Hart. What does that really do for him? Whereas Adam Cole, he is still the leader of the elite. They're still telling that story, waiting for Kenny Omega to get healthy and come back before they do some type of, you know, interfaction warfare type of deal, whatever the hell their plan is for that. So I don't see why you would knock him down a peg and, you know, allow Joe to win when the guy, yeah, he's on AEW television, but he's a Ring of Honor champion right now. And that's really, that that's his focus. He's in that storyline with Jay Lethal and all the shit they're doing over there. Being the Owen tournament winner doesn't help him at all. With Cole, it gives him something else to brag about, gives him a reason to try to get Another championship opportunity, whether it's a TNT title, whether it's a world championship, whatever the case. So yeah, uh, I'm picking Britt because I'm picking Adam Cole to beat Samoa Joe and win the men's own.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, that, that that I can see that playing out that way. The best part of the match, the Samoa Joe Kyle O'Reilly match on on Wednesday, was that we didn't get a Jay Lethal beat down at the end of it. Like Correct. every single time Samoa Joe is out there, that, that, that's how his segments end. So we didn't get that, which I was very, very grateful for. I assumed we would. I assumed Adam Cole was going to sick him on him or something like that. So we didn't get that, which is nice. Properly setting up for the championship, uh, for, for the Own Heart tournament final match. I'm picking Adam Cole as well for all the reasons you laid out. He just lost two title matches. He needs some big wins back. Samoa Joe doesn't need it. He's got a title, he's got his own feud going on. Um, Yeah, I'm going to say Adam Cole as well, and this should be a really fun match. And also credit to Excalibur again, who pointed out during the Joe Kyle O'Reilly match that they had only ever met one previous time in Ring of Honor back in the day, several many years ago, and that Joe and Adam Cole have never fought before. So that's cool. So that is it, very it,
0: interesting. That they never fought in Ring of Honor. And they never fought in NXT. That doesn't sound right to me, but I guess it is right. I mean, yeah.
1: So uh, I, I assume that's true. But um, that that was some interesting information. So I, I appreciated Excalibur sharing that. All right. So
0: let's move uh, to the championship matches and the two other big featured matches on this show. We'll start with one of those. We have Jericho Appreciation Society. Against Eddie Kingston, Santana and Ortiz, Brian Danielson, and John Moxley in an anarchy in the arena match. Uh, A lot of stuff happened on TV. Let's get to that first. On Rampage, we had Danielson and Mox against Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Mox put Seidel to sleep outside. Danielson then took Martin off the top rope with a double underhook avalanche suplex. Martin somehow fought out of the the Bell Lock, which I thought was silly. Uh, That just should have been the finish. If they ended the match right there, I would have been happy. Instead, Seidel did a Meteora onto Danielson on the apron. Martin did did a double jump uh, springboard moonsault onto Mox for a broken fall. Mox eventually hit a pile driver on Martin for a 2.8. Then he won with a paradigm shift while Danielson had Seidel in a triangle. Really fun contrast of styles. I just thought the match went far too long. It's a rare example of a longer match actively making the featured people look worse as opposed to making the underdogs look good because no Mm -hmm. one ever believed that Martin and Seidel would win here. But I will say it was fun to watch. But of course, you know what happened after the bell. JAS attacked. Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz made the save. At least here, they waited 30 seconds for the attack, unlike the other match we mentioned. Um, That way, like Danielson and Mox could get some cheers from the crowd. I don't really have much of a take on this. It it was a decent match, and they just didn't attack. And you know what? I'm just going to keep going. I was going to let you speak. But they basically did the same thing. Um, on dynamite, because we had Mox in Kingston against Private Party. JAS mm-hmm. backstage got angry that a guy was wearing a Mock shirt. So Jericho threw a fireball on his face and called himself the wizard again. It was just odd. Some people like this. I don't. The faces basically won a squash with Mox winning via paradigm shift. JAS attacked. The rest of the faces made the save. Weapons immediately came out, but basically didn't get used. Everyone got pulled apart. Jericho took out Danielson's knee. He sold it for a moment. It was the right idea. I thought the execution on Rampage was way better than it was on Dynamite. It was super, super sloppy. But we got the exact same ending to both matches on two consecutive shows. And I don't even know why those matches needed to happen at all. So there you go. Those are my thoughts.
1: Yeah, um there's not much other to say about the matches themselves. Dante Martin continues to be the most natural looking high flyer. I think I've ever seen. He just floats, man. When he does like salts and shit like that, he's mm-hmm. just up there forever. It is crazy. So look, it, it was fun to see Mox and Brian Danielson and some other people just involved in a, in a clash of styles both times. So, so I was fine with the matches happening. We didn't talk about it last week because it, it only happened to the taping. Last week's Rampage was when Brian Anderson got his leg stuck in the where the ramp meets the ring. Um, the, after Rampage went off the air, AW posted that whole thing on YouTube. And it was really interesting to kind of watch Dan or Brian or Brian Anderson uh, realize he's stuck, but also like sell it at the same time while telling the ref, this is why this guy is like the smartest guy in wrestling right now. And he's limping off afterward. It was definitely a work. Uh but I can see why in the moment a lot of people thought it was real. Honestly, a scary situation. Glad glad he was fine. Uh but if you haven't seen that, AEW put it on, on YouTube and and um kind of how they had to prize leg free and stuff like that. Really weird, uh and frankly a very poor setup. But mm-hmm. glad Brian Davison's okay. And uh that kind of sets us up for the match.
0: I did confirm um Samoa Joe and Adam Cole never fought in WWE. There you go. So yep, makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, okay. What's your, uh, what's your pick for this match? Cause mine is very solid. I know exactly who I'm
1: picking. So up. first off, do we know what an anarchy in the arena match is? Yeah. I think, I think the concept is stadium stampede, but in an arena. So it's just going to be false count anywhere. Maybe you just kind of go through everything oh, well, again.
0: I think stadium stampede, if memory serves, ended in the ring both times.
1: Uh, I know one of them ended in a
0: ring for sure.
1: One of them did. One of them didn't. I think no. One of yeah. One of them ended with Kenny with with Sammy and Kenny or doing the thing off of the ramp into the tunnel and got the pin there. So, uh, yeah. Um, so my, my, is, may,
0: whether it's false of you know.
1: anywhere or not,
0: my expectation is we see them in the suites. We see them backstage. Yeah. In the vom, yeah. um, in the, in the concession. That, that'll area. be fun. All
1: Look, I, yeah, I like the stadium stampede matches. They were fun. Like if you're going to do 10 man tags, you might as well make it goofy and make it fun. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, you, you said you clearly have your, pick yeah, also. I'll go,
0: I'll go and you, and you, let me first give you my opinion of the match. So, You know, they were they were really building this Jericho Kingston storyline. And we already got the singles match. So clearly they didn't want to do that again. But the feud, this feud is between Jericho Kingston and then Santana and Ortiz and Jericho. And therefore you could say, well, two other people in JAS, you could get involved. That to me is a six man tag team match that like Mm -hmm. that's really what this should be. More than anything, it should probably be uh, Jericho and 2.0 because they're the tag team of JAS against Kingston, Santana, and Ortiz. This to me is just a, the the paradigm, no pun intended, of AEW just throwing stuff onto the card to make sure all of their stars are on the pay-per-view. And again, for one pay-per-view every three months, there's nothing wrong with making sure all of your stars are on it. But they were building up Blackpool Combat Club as a trio. So why couldn't that trio have fought another trio? Why couldn't they perhaps have gotten involved Um with the elite somehow or or whatever the case might be, throwing them into this just because of Moxley's prior relationship with Kingston and I guess because they're about professional wrestling and the other guys are about sports entertainment, that didn't even really get articulated that much in the lead up to it. So I was excited to see what they did with Kingston and Jericho. And I'm this is going to be a great match. It's going to be fun. It's going to be hardcore. There's going to be blood. Mm. Like it's going to be all those things we want. It just doesn't really... Like, it didn't need to be this, is the best way I can kind of put it. So anyway, this to me, it's very, very simple. The Jericho Appreciation Society is sports entertainment. And the other, the faces, the other team, they are professional wrestling. They are a far more talented team, top to bottom, in addition to being professional wrestling. And AEW is professional wrestling, not sports entertainment. So I do not see how on an AEW double or nothing pay-per-view in front of however many 17,000, 15,000 people in Las Vegas, I see no way they're going to put the wizard and the sports entertainers over the professional wrestlers. There is, a, I, I am more confident about this than any match on the entire show. Kingston, Santana, NRT's, Danielson and Mox win Anarchy in the Arena.
1: That makes a lot of sense. My My only other thought was... Jericho appreciation society is a faction while the other is just a random assortment of people. Would you rather your faction win over the assortment of people? It's a ju- I mean, how I they're, ever, a ju- they're a joke. How I, right. right when that faction is kind of a joke and is about sports entertainment, maybe them losing is the whole point of them existing. In which case, yeah, I think I'm going to pick the faces as well.
0: I mean, if there's a line for this match, like uh, odds wise, and it's anything, I don't even know,
1: like 250 or better. I got an an email about odds the other day. I always delete them because I don't want to get like, um,
0: you know, spoiled or whatever. Because even though they don't know. I don't
1: don't open them, but yeah.
0: Open it. If if you can find it, let me know what the odds on that match are. Because if it's 250 or better, I would take them.
1: It's plus uh, Jericho appreciation Society is plus 110. The faces are minus 150. Oh
0: my God. Easy. Easy call. Easy call. Maybe I'll be wrong, but that's... I'm, I'm taking that. I'll do it. I'm in. Yeah. All right. Let's get to uh, the three title matches and, and what I consider to be the main event of the show, which no one else does, but I do at least. But let's, uh, let's get to the title matches. So we have Jurassic Express against Ricky Starks and Powerhouse Hobbs and Swerve in My Glory in a triple threat uh, tag team title match, which I think is the first one in AEW history. I could be wrong, um, but I, I thought it was. Anyway, on Dynamite before that, we had a triple threat match. Jungle Boy, Starks, and Swerve. Swerve did a full flip out of an avalanche poison Rana. Then Starks speared Swerve as he had Jungle Boy up for a vertical suplex. Starks hit a Mishinoku driver on Jungle Boy for a fall broken by Starks. Starks did a blatant thumb to the eye on Swerve and hit Roshambo. But JB caught him from behind with a snare trap. Starks got the rope. JB put it back in. Swerve kicked him and hit the Swerve stomp on Starks for the win. Guess what? Powerhouse Hobbs immediately ran in for an attack. Luchasaurus took his fucking time getting there. Five minutes (laughs) to get to the ring. Keith Lee then took 10 minutes to get out there. And all three big men faced off. Keith kind of did like a torneo over the top rope to end it. Uh, Match was great. I again went 3.75 stars B plus. Basically because it was short and a sprint. If This was a pay-per-view match. It went 20, 25 minutes. Uh, This could have been a five-star match with these three. These are three of the best kind of wrestlers out there in terms of like putting on a spectacle, there's just Mm -hmm. a lot of really fun things they can all do together because of their size, because of their athleticism. And we just got a taste of it here. I I loved what we got, though. Um, It did well enough, I thought, as a go-home setup for the pay-per-view. Again, another match that, you know, the storyline is between Swerve, Keith Lee, and Powerhouse, Hobbs, and Starks. Jurassic Express is just in there because they're the champions, and they didn't have a feud for them other than this. So uh, just another storyline where we're kind of not in a great spot, uh, but no matter what, I think my general thought on what's happening in AEW right now is not so much that the champions themselves are weak, but they're being booked extremely poorly. And perhaps no one has booked been booked worse than Jurassic Express, which wins matches that are entertaining, but yeah, completely forget everything surrounding them other than what seems to be brewing between Jungle Boy and Christian Cage, who is still with them, you know, for some reason. So I do think we're going to get a title change here. The question is, do they go with the heels or do they go with the faces? I think given some criticism that's been lobbied at AEW from me specifically on this podcast, but from others as well, they introduced Keith Lee and Swerve. They basically relegated them to Rampage. They had them lose and now they're in a championship match after winning like two tag team matches and suddenly becoming in the top five. I don't think you do that if you don't want to put the titles on these guys. You don't have to have Jurassic Express lose to make it happen. You also could have them lose if you want to give Christian some more ammunition to go out against Jungle Boy with. So I'm picking Swerve in my glory to win the championships here, but, but perhaps more than that, my prediction is that the titles change. As I said, this prediction impacted my prediction in the Hardys and Bucks match. If Starks and Hobbs do win, then I think it makes all the sense in the world for the Hardys to win that other match and eventually take the titles off them. But for all the reasons I stated, Swerve, Keith Lee, I would put them over here. And I think AEW
1: is going to put them over here. So first on on the Dynamite match, that was super fun. I, I think that match gives you a greater appreciation for Ricky Starks because there were a lot of Obvious spots in that match of guys hopping over onto other guys' shoulders and stuff like that, but every time Ricky Starks was involved in one of those, it looks so smooth and natural. Like, like awesome. even more than Jungle Boy and Swerve, like he just everything he did was so incredibly smooth. He is a really, really good uh, professional wrestler and sports entertainer. And so this match, yeah, the titles are going to change. It's it's an obvious one that, that has to happen. Jungle Boy loses just aren't doing anything. I like them. I love Luchasaurus, but they're just, they're not doing anything. It's it's time to change the titles. Um, Keith Lee. Yeah. Since he made his debut, he's done basically nothing. And when I went to the, one of the shows here, he got maybe the biggest pop of the night at one of the shows here in Texas, which is where he's from. But he is a, he is a guy who should be at the top of your card. So if he's not, if you're going to put him in tag team, he's got to have the tag team belts on him uh, as well. So, I am also picking Keith Lee and and Swerve here. Curious how long that lasts. I wouldn't even mind if they had a short reign, lost it, and they started feeding with each other. I think that'd be pretty good too. Agreed. Um, uh, It's it's not something where they need to have a long reign or anything like that. So uh, that'll be fun. Only other thing is, I I hope we get Luchasaurus, Powerhouse, Hobbs, and Keith Lee together in the ring, just like we did the, the three little guys last week. Uh, Because that that'll be a lot of meat out there uh, if we get that.
0: Well, we did see a kind of a a little preview of that.
1: um, Kind of, yeah. On on dynamite, yeah. There's
0: a lot of beef out here. There would be a lot of beef out there with those three guys, uh, and I think it would be pretty awesome. But I I, I think them not so much as transitional champions, but uh, having a short reign to kind of move it on to someone else makes a lot of sense. And by the way, I'm about to say something. This is not a criticism that I levy at WWE, but others do. People criticize WWE for throwing tag teams together and making them champions. Well, I mean, they've kind of done that in two spots here. Yes, technically, um, Hobbs and Starks are together on Team Taz, and and they have teamed before. True, but the whole thing about AEW is that it has the strongest tag team division ever. And yet, the tag teams that we're getting in non-championship matches on this show are better and more established than the ones we're getting in the championship match. So, I mean, think about that for a moment, right? If you're really going to prop up tag team wrestling, don't forget, when this company debuted, Tony Khan came out, the Young Bucks came out, they're like, we're going to have tag team wrestling main eventing pay-per-views. It's not. They've put on great matches. Yeah. They they put on show stealers at pay-per-views, but not main eventing. And for the greatest tag team division ever, potentially, for this to be the title match on the show, uh eh, leave something to be desired as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, I mean you've got FTR doing the the Ring of Honor title stuff, so it's just there, there's just it's all there's a lot going on. It's the same thing with the women's title matches in this card is that because there were so many other things going on, the pieces that were left for the title match. But that's were bullshit not as good because you had, had
0: 3 months to build to this. So people no, got eliminated right. early from the tournaments and then become challengers like you know It's not really a good excuse just because there's other stuff that's going on.
1: Yeah, no, I look, look, it's weird that FTR is not on this card, considering the, the stretch and the run that they've been on. And they are one of the most over things in AEW right now. That's a weird thing to not have on the card. But when they're the Ring of Honor champions, you kind of put them in a weird spot. Um, imagine if they were in this match instead and they were at the AW titles, we're going back for the AW titles or something like that. I don't know. Like there, there's all, there's so many pieces that Tony Khan is trying to balance. And yeah, I, I think he's not, he's not doing a great job of that.
0: It's a lot for one person. It really is. You yeah. know? All right. Uh, women's championship Thunder Rosa against Serena Deeb. Rosa wore a red cowboy hat without her face paint so she could show her real self. She got chants during her promo, really for no reason. She didn't say anything to like elicit them, but it was nice that they chanted for her. Rosa said Deeb should blame herself for her problems and that she no longer looked up to her like she used to. Rosa said she would teach Deeb respect on Sunday. Rosa was in the middle of easily her best TV moment since winning the championship. When AEW production cuts her off while she's cutting her promo with her own entrance music. You cannot write this shit. Her promo was clearly scripted also because she had to fight through the music to deliver the final line. It was just amazing to me that AEW finally gives this woman time and she's finally getting herself over as champion and they still find a way to screw it up. But forget that for a moment. Rosa was really good here. This is the type of thing that she should have gotten initially, the, the show after she won the title, rather than the Vicky Guerrero interruption bullshit. It was a really good go-home promo with Rosa giving her side of why winning is so important on Sunday. And really, we don't need to go deep into this match. Like, Deeb's a great challenger. This has a chance to be one of the best AEW women's matches ever, legitimately. Like, it could be one of those, like, top three or four matches on this show as well. But I just don't see any reason why they would take the title off Rosa this quickly. So I definitely have Thunder winning.
1: No. And, and, and so the, the promo... You're right. It, they should know when her thing ends. It, like There there were a lot of production issues on this last episode of Dynamite, by the way. We didn't kind of say it, but camera cuts at weird times, just, just a lot of not great stuff. And it's been an issue for a while for them. Um, I, I saw somewhere else. I don't know if this, I can't confirm if this is true or not. But I saw a, a tweet or something going around that since winning the title, Thunder Rosa has had 20 minutes of TV screen time.
0: That was accurate. Yes. That's correct.
1: Which, which if you think about it, I guess, yeah, it makes sense. Like she's not anywhere. She keeps doing promos and getting cut off. Like I can't, I, I can't believe you go through all that effort to give her the big moment winning the title in San Antonio. And then, and then, and then you do, you just, you have no plan after that. Like, like how do you not have a whole big roll out of what she's going to do next in certain promos? And it was just, it's been a complete mess ever since then. None of it being her fault. So. And, and you know, this deep title match was kind of random. You know, Deep had that kind of nonsensical promo last week. It's not been a great build, but this is going to be a really fun match because Serena Deep is a really great wrestler. And so I'm looking forward to the match. But, yeah, it's, it's really been a lot of dropped balls here, especially with this story and especially with Thunder Rosa.
0: And so you have her winning, obviously, I assume. Yes, yeah, Donda Rose winning, sorry. Okay, now we're going to get to my main event of AEW Double, or nothing that is not technically the main event MJF versus Wardlow. A little bit of a spoiler alert there. So on Rampage, we had Sean Spears against Big Damo. This was Killian Dane from NXT. This is his independent name, making his AEW debut. Spears beat him in two minutes and 30 seconds with an exposed knee in a C4. I know that Dane has not gotten major work since being cut. But jobbing to Sean Spears on Rampage,
1: yikes. I did not realize that was Killian Dane, And now that you said it, it makes a lot more sense because I knew he looked familiar. I didn't put it together, uh, so I didn't know that. But other than that, you know, like I've said before, you know, Sean Spears gets some wins to build up for the Wardlow match. It makes sense. It was fine. It was what it was. Nothing more than
0: that. I just don't know why if you're him, you're taking that. I mean, I guess you're getting paid, so you take the booking, but yeah. To to lose like that, I mean, and you're trying to make something of yourself. It's really, really strange. Uh, So on Dynamite, we had the match that we were waiting for, Spears against Wardlow inside a steel cage. MJF was a referee and big shout out to him because he wore the Shawn Michaels striped (laughs) bike shorts uh, as a tribute. At least I thought it was a tribute. I didn't see anyone else mention it, but it was the first thing I noticed. Popped me huge. I also loved his referee shirt that had the Burberry, um, you know, as the stripes. Very cool. He refused to undo Wardlow's handcuffs as the heels attacked two on one to start. Wardlow caught Spears with a backdrop, then MJF spit in his face, so he broke the cuffs. Wardlow hit a senton bomb, but MJF refused to count. Wardlow went for a power bomb, and MJF kicked him in the balls. Spears hit the C4, and Wardlow kicked out of a fast count. Spears got a chair, but Wardlow ducked and he drilled MJF hardway right in the skull. Wardlow power bombed Spears three times, then grabbed a the chair for a fourth power bomb. And another referee ran in for the one, two, three. The only thing I would have changed is I would have had Wardlow grab MJF's lifeless arm and yep. count one, two, three, instead yep. of bringing another referee in.
1: Yep, exactly. Very and that's minor. what Steve that that's what Steve Austin did when Vince McMahon like before it, when Vince was a special guest referee. Exactly, it, it's, it's it's an easy thing right there. Not not the biggest deal in the world, obviously. No, but not it, a big was,
0: deal. Didn't it wasn't bad. Nothing like that, but. The yeah. pop that would have gotten to yeah. do that, yeah. Whoo! And then MJF had to count it. He could throw that in his face. You know, yeah. All there's every reason in the world to do that. Um, yeah. Wardlow then picked up MJF, and suddenly a dozen security guards came into the ring, one after another, kind of like zombies. He knocked them out one punch at a time. He power bombed a guy into the side of the cage. The guy slid between the side of the cage and like the ring apron, and then he celebrated uh, on top of the cage to end the segment. This match, the segment was really all it needed to be. It was pretty well booked, all things considered. The post-match with the security, it was kind of gratuitous and unnecessary as far as I was concerned. How many times do we need to see him do the same thing? And Wardlow being dumb enough to put hands on MJF, knowing the hands-off stipulation that was announced, that kind of made him look stupid as well. But for a go-home moment, as I said, this is exactly what it needed to be. Really good pop for Wardlow. And now we have a huge match, which is the one I am looking the most forward to going into Mm -hmm. Double or Nothing.
1: This is two paper views in a row. The match everybody's most looking forward to is MJF in a non-title match. That is why this guy feels like he deserves more money from AEW, because that's how good he is. Uh, and, And it's absolutely the case. So taking the chair shot to the head, woof. We hadn't seen that since I think Sean Spears on Cody, maybe might have for one of the, the first shows that they did. Uh don't see that very often, um, for obvious reasons, but uh, I, I I get it from time to time. MGF's cell was great, just the slow falling back and being completely out of it was great. Uh I, I criticized AW's production a lot, but they nailed the camera angle of Wardlow rising up behind Sean Spears yep, while he was dropped for hitting. For hitting MJF, that was great, um and yeah, and I I loved that they didn't do the escape. You got to escape the cage stipulation that we often get. Uh, I I always I always I always kind of hate that that stipulation, especially with the door. So as Sean Spears is leaving, Excalibur again says, you know, you don't have to escape. It's fine. Like he let us know beforehand that like that's not how this works. So nailed that as well. And speaking of the the cage. I was wondering why when Wardlow was throwing Sean Spears into the cage, Sean Spears like was catching himself on the rope and mm-hmm. landing on the side. It's loose. I was, yeah. like, should, I was like, shouldn't you just go straight into the cage? That's the whole point of the cage. But then when the security guy did and he fell between the ring and the cage, that was why they didn't do that. Because um, for whatever reason, their cage is not tightened the same way, I guess. I, I think they should have a better quality cage if that's the case. But um, I think it's on purpose, actually. Why? I just think they like the aesthetic of it. But why not just like tighten it up at the bottom? so you can Because I think they like the idea the that cage.
0: someone can fly between the cage
1: like that. I guess. Maybe. I've never seen that before. So I don't know. They, maybe, yeah, maybe.
0: It, it's happened uh, in AEW before where someone. Oh, I think it maybe. was in the I, um, Blood and Guts match maybe. I forget which one it was. But it's that same thing has happened before.
1: Oh, I kind of do remember that actually. Yeah. yeah so, I just think yeah, it's their style. Overall, yeah, that's it. yeah. Overall, this was great. Probably the hottest segment of the night. Um, this is, this is great. Look, really looking forward to this match. And it's just been a really, really good build, once again, for an MJF match.
0: For sure. Uh, so let's get into the prediction. Now, I, I got to tell you, um, this is one of those matches where I feel like I'm getting into my head a little bit too much, making a prediction. <laughs> because they've made it very clear that if Wardlow loses this match, he will not ever be able to sign an AEW contract. However, Tony Khan also owns Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor people can show up on AEW TV and wrestle just like AEW superstars. I mean, Samoa Joe's in the Owen tournament, which is an AEW tournament. So there is isn't out for them. If, If they want to book MJF to win and he celebrates, he talks shit to Wardlow, everything, you know, the next Wednesday, Wardlow comes out, hey, Piggy, what are you doing here? I signed a contract with Ring of Honor. However, If you really think about it, though, I guess what would prevent that from happening would be MJF not releasing him from his contract, though they could also do where MJF says, hey, not only can you not sign with AEW, you're now fired. So you don't have anywhere to work. And then he signs with Ring of Honor and shows up. So I'm getting into my head. I think I'm getting convoluted (laughs) with it a little bit, almost like WWE style, where they do one thing, but then they want to bring the person back. So they come up with a reason. My point is, if they want MJF to win... They can have MJF win and Wardlow still stay with the company. However, I really don't think that you build up the anticipation for this match in this way with Wardlow getting as over as he's gotten and then delay the eventual win over MJF three months until the next pay-per-view. So I'm going to pick Wardlow beating MJF. I know that's what the vast majority of people are picking, but I did want to give the other side where if MJF wins, they do have a way to get Wardlow you know remaining on tv in AEW feuding with MJF and then getting over him the next time whatever that may be. Uh, I do think a singles match you know with no no DQ rules or anything special like that it does create uh, the ability for Sean Spears to interfere for someone surprising to join AEW potentially and interfere and help MJF. It does create possibilities. I just kind of feel like it would be a mistake to not have Wardlow in this match. And I think Tony Khan knows that, so I will pick Wardlow.
1: I keep thinking, like, when when are they going to go with MJF? Like, like when is he going to get in that world title picture eventually? I thought he was going to beat CM Punk at Revolution, the young guy getting over on the old guy. and No, they went with CM Punk, and, and CM Punk's now in, in the title match, so I, I get that. Are we going to have MJF lose another pay-per-view to a guy – that he's kind of bringing up, I, I I don't know. Like he had that undefeated streak for so long, that was so much a part of the character. Like when is MJF going to get back to winning and not just being kind of a, a weasel heel who puts people in bad situations? So like I could really see this going either way. I I honestly think this is really really hard to predict because yeah, Wordlow signing with Ring of Honor is something easy you could do, and it could just be hey I'm with Ring of Honor. And like, and that's it. Like, you don't need to do much more than that. He's just, he's back, but it, it doesn't need to be some drawn out thing. So like, I don't know. I, I think I'm going to go Wardlow too, because you built him up for all this. You want to give him the payoff, you know, you know, you do that thing. Wardlow, you know, cost him the CM Punk match. So you kind of got to bring that full circle. But I really could see MJF win this. And I, I just keep wondering, like, hey, when is MJF going to get the big wins? When is he going to, like, make that run? And I don't know. Maybe maybe the contract argument stuff, maybe that's a reason not to do it. I, I don't know. Maybe I don't know if that plays any role or not. He's still got two years left on his contract. So it's not like it's not like it's coming up soon or anything. So well, let me let me pause you, know, you right there. Let me pause yeah. you right there. Let me, let's
0: get let's get a little information that happened uh, live while we're taping this show. So Tony Khan is in the middle of his double or nothing media call, which I would be on if we weren't taping this podcast at this time for you. Let's uh, remember, Chris. Uh, But uh, he was asked, Tony was asked, hey, what's the deal with MJF and his contract? Right. And we've obviously talked about it here. And Tony basically said he likes when like off-screen conflict kind of shows up on screen and carries over and things like that. And that MJF has gotten the opportunity to air some real life grievances uh, through this. And MJF tweeted and then deleted this tweet. Fucking LOL. Fuck this place, man. Now, Hmm. I don't really think that is real, um, which then kind of leads you into, well, is he working this whole time? Are there some legitimate grievances? Um, Are there grievances, but they are working on it, but MJF's making it seem like they're not. You know, it's work shoot stuff. And and the question Mm -hmm. is, is it a work shoot? or is it just a shoot or is it just a work and we don't really know but to answer the question that you posed well if this is a shoot and if they are really struggling to come to terms on like MJF refusing to sign an extension Tony refusing him to give refusing to give him more money without signing an extension well then why would he put the title on him cuz then right. you're putting an AEW champion former AEW <laughs> champion right into WWE when his contract expires. And why would MJF agree to become champion if he's not getting more money from Tony Khan? Mm -hmm. So it really is, to your point, a shit or get off the pot moment. Because at some point, MJF is going to run out of people to feud with that feel important, but do not revolve around a championship. I mean, he's already gone through Cody, who's gone, obviously, Chris Jericho, CM Punk, and Wardlow his guy. I'm not saying there's no one left. I, did he I think if you do a John Moxley and lost the title match to him as well. Um so I'm yeah. not saying there's no one left. Obviously there's Brian Danielson. There's certainly he could create a tag team. He could win the TNT title, which is something that I'm shocked hasn't happened and have a long run with the with the TNT title. So there is myriad things they can do with MJF. But yeah, it really feels like this is like the number one heel in the company. And they refuse to put him around the world title picture again, outside of the really short feud with Moxley. So in this spot, you're like, well, how can he lose again? You know what? This is kind of how he loses again, because they're not even though he's the top heel, maybe they're actually legitimately shoot not motivated to move him back into the championship picture.
1: I mean, he lost the final match with Jericho. He lost the Punk feud. Does he lose this one, too? I mean... Maybe at some point you start really hurting that character if he loses every few seasons. So I'm going to say Wardlow just for the basics. I, I not overthinking it, but I really I I'm and not only am I just most interested in the match because of the story they've been told to get here, but also how it's going to play out. Like I, I really don't know that either. There's so much intrigue around this match for reasons inside and outside the ring. All right, and let's get to the main event of the show, the
0: AEW World Championship Hangman Adam Page against CM Punk. I do have some stuff to say here, so please bear with me. Uh, So we got a face-to-face on Dynamite. It started really basic, to my surprise. Punk talked about Las Vegas being the home of the biggest moment in his career. He's referring to the pipe bomb. On his entrance, he actually sat cross-legged on the ramp for a moment, which was cool. Punk said he didn't understand why Page was taking his challenge so personally, saying Hangman was great. He should be ready for one person after another to challenge him. It was a little bit completely accurate, a little bit gaslighting as well. Hangman said his promise to embarrass Punk wasn't at double or nothing, but on dynamite by doing a pipe bomb promo right back at him, catching him by surprise. Except he said he wasn't going to do it. And he didn't really explain why. Hangman said he doesn't hate Punk, but pities him, doesn't respect him. Page said he won't be defending the title against Punk, but defending AEW from punk punk reiterated his confusion, reiterated his respect for hangman, but reminded him that he paved the way for guys like him. Hangman refused to shake his hand, punk pushed him and page punched him in the face. Now what's interesting about this is I agreed with literally everything punk said. Like forget kayfabe for a moment. Think about his points. He doesn't know why page is taking it so personally. True. He's just the next of what would be many challengers for a champion to face. True. Paige was talking in circles and not really making a point in that promo. True. I mean, it seems like the goal here is to paint Punk either as disingenuous or as an outsider who could corrupt AEW with like WWE influence or something. But the whole point of Punk in AEW is he is literally the guy who stood up to WWE and sat out seven years because of it. Now, Hangman did say punk is different when the cameras are off. And like, okay, maybe there's an element to that. But we haven't seen that as viewers to lend credence to those remarks. All we really have is Eddie Kingston saying something similar like nine months ago. You know, you act like you're a good guy, but you're not a good guy. And if that was the reference he's making, cool. But they didn't introduce that element into the go-home moment of the feud. So was this entertaining? Yeah, I guess it was entertaining. But if you actually think about it, there's really not a strong storyline for this match other than Hangman being irrationally angry. And that goes to what we've said about Hangman's entire title reign. He's had great matches, but zero memorable storylines. This may actually be the least memorable, at least as of right now, because there's really nothing to it other than him suddenly out of nowhere becoming insecure as a champion and showing his anxiety so we can talk about our prediction for the match in a moment but i just kind of wanted to get that out in terms of my perspective of the storyline kind of going into the
1: pay-per-view i remain so confused by this like everything punk said was true so like address that why is page acting like this he's been acting like this for a for a month or so now for no reason. He's it's not like we're talking about how he's lone and doesn't have any friends with him like the elite anymore. It, it it's not like he feels the weight of carrying this belt. Like we're not getting any of that stuff. He's just pissed off and we don't know why. And Punk doesn't know why. And while everything Punk said was true, he's essentially no selling Page's promo to him, which yeah. is its own issue. Because then you're just you're just you're, you're, you're shooting down what the guy is saying to you and you're not taking it seriously. So then why should I take it seriously? So like, it's just the, the vibe of this whole thing is so weird. And the line, I'm defending AEW from you, that was a good line, but it's not the story they've told either. So that's weird. And Punk saying, basically, I paved the way for guys like you. There's three different matches on this card saying the same thing. Serena Deep saying the same thing and the Hardys are saying the same thing. Like is, we, we, you can't just keep telling this story over and over. So I just, this has been a real letdown. It's like, they couldn't figure out what kind, like this has been a month plus now that we knew this was coming and there was no attempt to figure out what the storyline is. I, and I, I just, I don't get why they haven't done anything with Paige to kind of explain this. And so you've got one guy being like, I hate you so much. And the other guy being like, dude, what are you talking about? That, that's, not a, that's not a gets me excited for a championship match type of uh, situation. So it's just, it's been extremely weird is probably the best way just to describe it.
0: And I mean, so on this media call also that's happening right now, I just want to note that Tony called Hangman Adam Page the best world champion in wrestling, which is just not true. I mean, you know, I know it's his guy that's cool. Um, Page has had really good matches since winning the title just not accurate. But yeah, to what you're saying about Punk um, and, and Paige in this feud, you know, even if there are elements for us to chew on, right? Um, the idea that, let's say, Paige is an AEW original and Punk kind of came in and got took a lot of the air out of the room and maybe he took exception to that. That hasn't, like like, to kind of allude to it, isn't really telling us that as the storyline. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. again, because this was a slow developing feud, we knew Punk was going to be the challenger. It was very clear what they were doing. But to not have Paige rally against him, or rail against him, I'm sorry, for all these weeks and say very much on commentary, you know, I've been here since the beginning. Punk's coming in. Yeah, I'm glad people like him, but he didn't work for this like I have. He hasn't really been here for three years at AEW trying to make this Mm -hmm. happen.
1: Yeah. yeah. Tell
0: us that. Like, I I know, I know AEW tries to like give more in depth storytelling and I appreciate that AEW does that. And I'm not saying that we're all dumb wrestling fans. and need to get hit over the head with stuff, but you got to tell the story. Even like a show, like true detective, it tells you the damn story while you're watching it. It doesn't ask you to assume a million different things. The ending is still a surprise, but they take you on a journey and tell you things that are happening along the way. So that's my frustration with it. Now, There's only two ways this match turns out, Chris. One, Punk wins. Two, Hangman turns heel and cheats to win with the excuse that it's what what Punk would have done and he would not allow Punk to take over AEW, which is what he said in the promo. If that happens, theoretically, it would create a situation where a rematch would make sense and then they could go in that direction. The only finish to this match, I want to make it very clear going in, the only finish to this match I will dislike is Hangman winning clean with no other developments. If that happens, it's just a waste because they could do something really interesting with him with a heel turn or a tweener turn where you know he thinks he's doing something for the best of AEW, but it's really not. He's misguided, blah, blah, blah. Or CM Punk wins the match. I'm in a situation where we've talked about it and I told you numerous times on this podcast, I think I was leaning in one direction. I wanted to see how this feud kind of ended up on the go-home to really make a prediction, but I'm sticking with where I've been leaning this entire time. That is CM Punk becoming the new AEW world champion. There's a couple reasons why. I'll let you get in right after this. Uh, number one, it makes sense. Just, you know, it's it, it, it makes sense for Hangman to get in his own head, get anxious and insecure, and have that be the reason he drops the title. It completely fits with his character, And it also gives him something to work up from to regain the title a little bit down the line. But the main reason is this. AEW makes a lot of really good booking and storytelling decisions. But the number one thing Tony Khan does over everything else, and in many ways, it's worth lauding because it's a good business practice. But in other ways, it actually hurts the product because rather than do X or Y that the fans would prefer, he instead does Z. And that thing is... He cares more about finding individual things that will lead to ratings pops, merchandise pops, whatever the case may be, short term rather rather than perhaps thinking what's best long term. Now, CM Punk being champion in my opinion is actually good for both because having a really recognizable name as your champion like they did with Chris Jericho can get a lot of media attention on your company. X years since last being WWE champion. Punk has helped this new promotion flourish. And now he's the champion of the entire thing. He's front and center. And maybe you tell this Hangman Page story line out. And six months from now, Page beats him for the title. And we reset where we are. But I look at the the situation that AEW is fighting itself in right now. Um, there's new owners of Warner Media; They're looking to impress them. The ratings have been stagnant to dropping, not because of their fault, But because of the NBA and NHL playoffs and a lot of competition that's been around uh, in obviously something horrible happened this week in the news cycle, um, the elections coming up, a lot of stuff is happening. Tony, I think, is going to make a decision here that is probably best for the long term because, again, Punk being champion does all those things we talked about, but is really good in the immediate short term to like pop a rating next Wednesday on Dynamite and get people talking about Punk being the AEW champion. I think that is motivating and fueling it more than anything else because there are all of these outside things that he's concerned about, the ratings, Warner, all this type of stuff. So for every reason, I'm picking CM Punk to beat Hangman Adam Page to become the new (coughs) AEW world champion.
1: I am picking Punk as well. You pretty much laid out every scenario that's there. I don't need to repeat them. The idea of Paige cheating to win. Maybe he cheats to try to win and Punk overcomes it. And and that's possible anyway. Yep. Um, You know, Punk doesn't need to be a long-term champion for a year either. You know, it doesn't need to be uh, a a super long thing, but I I think it makes a lot of (coughs) makes a lot of sense. You know, he came back, they got the biggest ratings they have ever had when he came back and the ratings have since settled to where they were before. So, you know, it's, it, it's weird. Like I, it, I, I, it's, I have, to, I just have weird feelings around this whole story because it's not really been much there. And frankly, I haven't enjoyed CM Punk all that much in AEW, except for the MJF feud because he's a face because he's a happy to be here type of guy. That's not the CM Punk we love. We love the CM Punk. Who's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And, and it was healing stuff. Like and we just frankly have not gotten it. And he's the face in this feud. It, it, it's just it's what it is. So it's been a weird run, but him being becoming your champion makes sense for, for all the reasons. And I know Punk is not a WWE guy necessarily, but it would be something that three of the first four AW champs are Jericho, Moxley, and and CM Punk. Um, well, Hangman was their homegrown guy. That's why I'm just so surprised they really dropped the ball on this because they had all the incentive in the world to uh make his run memorable. Well and the, it just
0: it hasn't. The big bump that AEW got is when they signed CM Punk. Like
1: yes, that Punk w- and, Yeah.
0: That was a really big bump for them and the Danielson and Cole bump it did happen also but it was relatively minor and it ended up dissipating back to where kind of things were when Punk um signed. And I think Tony Khan sees that. I think he notices that like CM Punk is the one guy in this company that truly moves the needle. People know Brian mm-hmm. Danielson. Um, they know John Moxley. They know Chris Jericho. The Punk is that unique guy that can actually help us. And to have an opportunity to put the title on him and not do it, I just don't think it's something he can pass up. I mean, you can, look, you can make arguments that, yeah, it's another ex-WWE guy. And like you just said, Jericho and Moxley and Punk, three of the first five. And what about other homegrown talent? And sure, that's true. But look, the homegrown talent, the other guy, The one other guy really right now who's ready to be world champion is MJF. And we just discussed some of the reasons why he perhaps would not be. So I don't know. I just I I think it really makes sense to to change the title here Uh, for all the reasons stated. I'm not going to repeat myself, but I really do think that a lot of the reasoning is not just so much about like, hey, what would be a really good storyline that fans would enjoy? I think it's specifically for business reasons more than anything else. I think.
1: Well, I think it's. I, I think it's also just it has been a bad title reign, and everybody talks about it all the time. Like you need to. Fre- he, he, I'm sure Tony Khan knows he needs to freshen things up. he's, he's got to make some changes. Nobody's going to be excited if we have Paige continuing his his title run. Like you just you got to freshen up the title scene right now. And uh, CM Punk is your champion is a major major way to do it.
0: All right, Chris, so that is our full ultimate preview breakdown of AEW Double or Nothing. Uh, Before we move on and I talk about NXT, we need to close with our expectation grades for this show. You, our listeners, the Getting Overheads, you will be able to provide your expectation grade right ahead of the pay-per-view following our live pre-show on Twitter Spaces. I will post a poll on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you guys will be able to vote with a letter grade. But Chris, when we do the grades, I always let you go first. What is your pre-show expectation grade for AEW, double or nothing?
1: (sighs) This, you you go into it knowing this is going to be like more than a four-hour show. And that's that's a downer. Um, There are a lot of matches I'm really looking forward to seeing. Even if the stories haven't been great, the matches are going to be awesome. And I think that's the case for a lot of these. I'm gonna say I'm I'm right between B plus and A minus. I'm gonna lean B plus just because of how long the show is gonna be, and I know I'm gonna be exhausted by the end of it. Now you know a lot of wrestling is not necessarily a bad thing, but the last several of these AEW shows, I'm just exhausted by the end of it. So I'm I'm gonna say B plus, but obvious room to 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 uh do better than that.
0: I'm right with you there. Um I'm expecting a B plus to B show. You know, perhaps there is a surprise that could change things. I mean, uh, was it 2 years ago a, a double or nothing, I think it was. Was it 3? Whatever, the John Moxley surprise all out last year we got uh Brian Danielson and Adam Cole back to back. You know, Cesaro is out there, Johnny Gargano is out there. I think there could be like a moment that maybe pushes it over the top as an overall entertaining program if they do If there are people to show up um, and perhaps it it could be someone from New Japan also uh, immediately teasing Forbidden Door at the end of the pay-per-view, you know, a champion or something like that. So I do think there's possibly a moment that could happen on this show that pushes it over the top. But I'm right in that range with you. I think I give AEW a little bit benefit of the doubt from a wrestling in-ring standpoint, uh, entertainment value. So I will go with B plus as my pre-show expectation grade. I just can't get in the A range. Uh, I think like I did last time because, again, I was just so much more emotionally invested in that card. And this one, I've said it twice already on the show. I look at it, a lot of good wrestling matches. It looks like we're going to get, don't so much know about the overall um, care that I have for the show from top to bottom.
1: Yeah, no, that's it. I, I, I don't care about a lot of these going in, but I'm still looking forward to them. And you know how that main event goes is really going to think, I think paint really influence how we feel about the show. Is it going to be four and a half hours in before they go and we get a 30 minute match, or are they going to give us a 16 minute match? You know, like I'm really curious what kind of energy the crowd has before that, before that main event. Um, Cause with 11, maybe more matches on the card, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be tired. So I, I'm, I'm very curious kind of what the feeling is going into that main event.
0: All righty. So that is our ultimate preview of AEW Double or Nothing. A reminder for all of you, uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can join that uh, pre-show. As I mentioned, you can vote in the poll and you will also find out as soon as our AEW Double or Nothing instant analysis podcast drops as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air. So with that, I will move over to NXT, as I noted earlier in the show, building for In Your House, which is a premium live event uh, ahead of WWE Hell in a Cell, which I did not realize was going to be the case. Um, And I will say overall, for the most part, I was very pleased with what we got from NXT on Tuesday, but there is certainly one storyline. I think you know what it is that I am not fond of at all, and that is how we are going to start this breakdown. Uh, Braun Breaker found a... 20-year-old picture in his locker. He was unfazed by it. He was doing an interview when a clip of him running for an 85-yard touchdown appeared on the screen. Braun remembered being upset his dad wasn't at that game because he was in Japan, but he said Joe Gacy's mind games wouldn't affect him. Later, Duke Hudson came up to make sure Braun knew he wasn't the one messing with him. He said he knew it was Gacy. Then they like unnecessarily got into it with Breaker uh, shoving Hudson into the locker. Uh, Before the match, Gacy was shown telling his Druid that they've done a great job getting in Breaker's head. So we got the match. Breaker-Hudson, it was a non-title match. Braun got distracted at the bell when Gacy and the Druids were on the crow's nest. Breaker hit a Frankensteiner early after commercial. The heels made their way to ringside. Hudson failed to get a Steiner recliner, as did Breaker. Braun attacked the Druids at ringside as Gacy slid a chair in for Hudson. Breaker stole it and eliminated the Druids. He missed on Gacy and then swung and hit Hudson for the DQ, the gimmick being that Gacy cost him the match because he got in his head and Braun swung the chair. I just got to say, this gets worse and worse by the week. How Shawn Michaels or anyone in NXT right now thinks this is worthy of being the br- the brand's main storyline and main event for In Your House, it is mind-numbing to me. It's actually the single worst thing on the entire show. Braun never should have won the title back from Dolph Ziggler. Dolph has done nothing since. Breaker is in a go nowhere feud. If this was happening outside of the title picture while Ziggler was fighting other people, I could probably stomach it. It is not a main event level feud. This has to end for good in your house. I need it to be over. And honestly, they got to completely revamp Gacy's character a third time because these Druids came out of nowhere and they remain incredibly ridiculous for a guy who does not have an Undertaker-like gimmick. So no, this is not good in any way, shape or form.
1: Zero point zero. That is one big pile of shit.
0: Now on the women's side, we had a scheduled Mandy Rose against Indy Hartwell non-title match. Toxic Attraction backstage. They were all talking shit about Hartwell. When Caden Carter and Katana Chance attacked, officials ran in. They separated them. Mandy just kept like walking to the ring. She didn't care. Rose talked trash during the match, which led to a run for Hartwell. Indy escaped La Magistral and hit a spinebuster on Rose for a near fall. Toxic Attraction limped out, but got stopped by the Casey's at ringside. Indy booted JC Jane and then ate a boot from Mandy as the champion won in 90 minutes and 30 seconds. The tag teams battled out of the arena. Rose walked to the back. Wendy Chu attacked her from behind with a pillowcase full of like athletic balls, volleyballs, basketballs, baseballs, and she danced with the title. It was good booking for Rose uh, not to get a clean win over Indy because she really should be among like the next list of champions or challengers at least. The match wasn't anything special, though. Uh, Later, the KC's cut a decent promo and challenged for the titles. Chu walked up and challenged for the women's title also. Mandy delivered a pretty cutting promo on Chu, saying she's a grown-up kid and Mandy's a grown-ass woman. Toxic then called the KC short and accepted the tag team title match. And then Rose seemed to accept the women's championship match. It's going to be interesting to see what they do here. Uh, The KC's should absolutely win the tag team titles, but they should also be getting called up to the main roster. Maybe they win, get called up, and unify with the women's titles on the main roster. Maybe Toxic retains and does the same. All three of them need to drop the titles, but no, Mandy should not lose to Wendy Chu. That's like the one person she actually should not drop the belt to. So I am really curious to see what the go-home looks like next week. Our Carmelo, Hayes, and Trick Williams were in the barbershop getting pumped up when Cameron Grimes walked in. Mello said he's a good wrestler, but he doesn't have the flash. Grimes said he earned the championship. Mello called him a title holder, not a champion. Grimes said many are saying Nathan Frazier is faster and better than Mello, so he wants to fight him next week to get a warm-up in. That's going to be one hell of a match. Grimes and Frazier can't wait for it. Given Frazier is still fresh and he's gotten a pretty hot start in the United States, Grimes can beat him and it won't really be a big deal, but I am super excited for that match. As far as the barbershop thing, it was very scripted, not very good. Uh, Damon Kemp was on the phone with Roderick Strong. He informed the Creed Brothers the match is off because Strong rolled his ankle. The Creeds weren't happy, saying his ankle should be hanging on by a thread if he wasn't going to fight. Julius carried the segment, but Kemp and Brutus held their own as well. Ivy Nile, by the way, was back with Diamond Mine, which was great to see. She had been gone for a couple of weeks. She went over to uh, the United Kingdom. A Pretty Deadly later cut a promo on the Creeds and Diamond Mine. For a couple quick backstage segments, all of these guys actually showed a lot of poise and confidence on the mic. Nice, simple stuff to sell the match. We had Alba Fire against Electra Lopez. Fire sold an injured arm early that prevented her from hitting the gory bomb. So she hit a super kick and a swanton bomb for the win. It was really awkward, by the way, the way that she hits the swanton. She kind of lands on her collarbone instead of her shoulder blades like Jeff Hardy does. It just seems dangerous. And like, she's going to get hurt doing that. Plus the gory bomb is a better finisher. It just is. It's way more unique. Uh, Kaylee Ray's entrance got enhanced even more from last week. And I will say the presentation of Alba Fire, it's pretty legit. Like if you have to rebrand someone, then you really need to rebrand them well. And that's what they did here. The only problem I had was the match was two minutes and 30 seconds. Lopez is pretty well established. She should be able to go six or seven minutes with Alba Fire and it'd be totally good. So that was disappointing. Uh, We'll move over to the breakout tournament semifinals. Uh, Roxanne Perez fought Lash Legend. Cora Jade backstage gave Perez a pep talk. Jade said she would be watching from ringside. After her match with Fire earlier, Lopez smacked a popcorn bucket out of Jade's hand, pissed off that she was rooting for Alba in that match. Lash didn't even get an entrance. She dominated at the bell with a nice backbreaker. Perez went on a run and surprised Legend by countering a powerbomb into Pop Rocks for the win in three minutes and 30 seconds. It was actually a really nice little match between them. I was really surprised, but the match time, it's its just absurd. These two, three, four-minute matches These women need to get more of a chance to break out like the men. They got longer featured matches in their tournament, you know, the ones that they've had previously. The right person won, so I'm not going to get like too angry. And both of them did look good. Perez made Lash Legend look good, so good for her. Fallon Henley backstage reacted to news that Nikita Lyons suffered an injury and was unable to compete in the tournament. Apparently it happened in training and it's a real injury. She partially tore her MCL, which really sucks because she was getting a really nice push uh, in this tournament and just in general in NXT. Tiffany Stratton walked over and said, Henley didn't earn her spot in the finals, which pissed her off and led to a challenge. Stratton officially replaced Lions in the tournament. After Henley was given a bye, she chose not to take. So we got Henley and Stratton. Tiffany dominated early and hit a really cool senton springing off her knees. Uh, She was on the apron, jumped up to the top rope with her knees, sprung over it and hit a senton. Very cool. Stratton hit a triple flip springboard elbow in the corner. Worked a knee that she kept chopping out from under Henley. She did a leg lock with a bridge for a near submission. Henley's uh, knee later gave out when she was ready to like do some type of running move on her. Stratton took advantage. She hit the twisting vader bomb for the win in five minutes. Grayson Waller ran down after the bell to celebrate with her. Uh, Stratton, look, she just continues to impress in a major way. Like for someone who's only wrestled for seven months, she really should not be this good yet. But I'll tell you something, folks. Tiffany Stratton, She's got it. And putting her over Henley here was definitely the right move. I presume she was in this tournament, or she wasn't in the tournament initially, because NXT didn't want her beaten in an early round. Henley looked like a real dumb babyface, talking her way into a match that she loses, instead of simply taking the bye and moving on to the finals. Stratton Perez is actually a very good breakout tournament final. In other words, they're the two young women in NXT who really have a chance to break out, like to be major stars. So I'm legitimately excited for this match, and I'm really interested to see how they eventually book it. Uh, We had stacks and two dimes against Idris Anofe and Malik Blade. Tony D'Angelo opened the show telling Santos Escobar they're not done by a long shot. Escobar appeared behind D'Angelo without him knowing. The faces worked well together, with Anofe hitting a really cool 619 type of move inside the ring around the turnbuckles. Uh, Anofe eventually got taken out at ringside. Legado del Fantasma appeared on the stage. The heels hit a double knockout punch and a double kick to blade for the win. The groups then brawled after the bell until they got separated. I thought this is fine, you know, nothing that special. Uh, Anofe does flash in a major way every time he's on television. I say it all the time with his length, athleticism, the way he moves. He always reminds me of Kofi Kingston. It could also be like the, the boots that he wears. I think they're higher boots that like cover his shins. He just always reminds me of Kofi. Uh, so I, I'll say it. Idris Anofe, I already said it for Tiffany Stratton. But he's also got, uh, Blade has something as well. He's talented, a little bit less charisma. They're still relatively fresh in NXT. I'd really like to see them get a run as tag team challengers at some point. Later, D'Angelo said, the whole thing needs to get put to bed. He wanted one more business meeting in your house. I'm not in a huge rush for this to end, but I do think that sooner than better would be ideal. That would make the most sense. Uh, We had Wesley against Sanga in a match. Lee backstage had his ribs taped up after last week's Von Wagner attack. He said Sanga disrespected him. He stands by his challenge because he, got, he eventually is going to have to beat guys his size, his strength, to prove he's capable of lasting as a single in NXT. Sanga tossed his ass at the bell and overpowered him. Lee chipped away at him, but got chopped down on the ring apron. He got turned inside out. Sanga then hit a huge choke slam and pinned Lee in four minutes. After the bell, Zion Quinn stalked Lee. Sanga stepped in and tossed Quinn away. Before helping Lee up to his feet, I'm not exactly sure where NXT is going with this for Wesley. He had a lot of momentum as a single after Nash Carter got released. They ran an angle where he had to contemplate his future, but he came back after one week. And ever since then, he's gotten his ass kicked. Potentially teaming him with Sanga, while the dynamic would be interesting. I mean, it's so similar to Drake Maverick and Killian Dane. And we saw how that turned out. The difference is. Wesley is super fricking talented in the ring where Drake Maverick, no offense, he's good on the mic, but he's not really a wrestler. So Lee should be paying his dues and getting a push in the mid card, not the tag team division. So I don't know what they're doing here, but if it's Lee and Sanga teaming, I really don't think I'm going to like it. It might be entertaining, but I don't know that it's good for Lee long-term. Uh, Thea Hale got another vignette about graduating high school this week. She claims she got accepted into a ton of Ivy League schools and will make her decision next week with her diploma in hand, it's actually kind of interesting to have someone do a kayfabe college commitment, like they're a college football or college basketball player, um, or a, a high school football or high school basketball player committing to a college. It is kind of interesting to do that. Um, I assume since she's going to be doing NXT stuff, that she's just going to go to UCF or somewhere in Orlando. That would make the most sense. But maybe they're actually going to have her go to like a college where she can do classes online. I don't know, but I, I'm kind of curious. I am legitimately curious to see what this is and what they give us. Uh, Von Wagner fought Ikemin Jiro. Jiro ran down before the bell to attack, but Wagner quickly got up on him and dominated. A couple smart fans chanted Wagner sucks. Vic Joseph made comments that I did last week about Sophia Cromwell and people barely looking at her, but him getting so upset. Jiro went on a really short run with a springboard drop kick inside and springboard moonsault outside, plus a tornado DDT for a near fall. Wagner used the jacket to do a hockey fight style beating, then hit the fireman's carry slam for the win. After the bell, Cromwell walked down to the ramp, pointed for Wagner to throw Giro into the table. But Briggs of Briggs and Jensen made the save and Cromwell stopped Wagner from attacking again. Backstage, Robert Stone was asking Wagner what's next as if he's not the guy's fucking manager. You should be telling him what's next. Cromwell said ruffling feathers is how you get noticed in NXT and that Wagner can handle anything. Now, This wasn't that bad, actually. Wagner and Giro worked well together, and there were enough spots to make it worth watching, but still not explaining Cromwell's role after months continues to be frustrating. And this guy has been ruffling feathers in NXT since the day he debuted. It's gotten him nowhere at this point. So really, what is this whole thing? Like, just tell me. I'm dumb. Beat me over the head with it on television. He wants to date her, but she won't give him the time of day. They are a couple. Whatever it is, tell me. Explain it on television. Uh, A vignette aired in Italian for Giovanni Vinci showing scenes from Italy. Not to start anything, but I could have sworn it was a woman's voice. Uh, Yet the vignette was for a guy. I thought it would be maybe Fabian Eichner getting a rebrand. It didn't sound like him. So I just have no information whatsoever here. Hopefully, this person is actually Italian if they're going with this name and gimmick. If it's Eichner, this is one of those necessary WWE name changes given Fabian Eichner is his real name, as opposed to the very unnecessary ones where. They take someone who has a gimmick and they change the name anyway. But I am curious if it's Eichner, if he's getting a singles push, that's really good because he is a super talented wrestler. And you want to talk about people in WWE who could be like the next Cesaro, Fabian Eichner can be the next Cesaro. He has everything that Cesaro has. Really awesome. So the last couple of weeks, admittedly on here, I thought In Your House was going to be a TV special. As I said, I wasn't that excited for it, but they clarified it Tuesday. As I noted, it's going to be a premium live event. I love that NXT is getting a bigger stage. The way the show was kind of booked on um, Tuesday, it got me more excited about it. It's shaping up that we're going to have five title matches. Makes it seem like it has the potential to deliver in a major way. So all in all, I'm getting way more excited for In Your House than I was previously. Um, But I do still need them to kind of deliver those go-home moments because the main event of the show... Breaker and Gacy, it's the thing I'm like least excited about. It's it's the thing I hate the most when I watch NXT now, and that should never be the case. They never should have taken a guy like Braun Breaker, who was as over as he was, and put him into a feud like this. Just really, really bad decision making on NXT's part. And that is it for today's show. We've covered everything in the world of AEW and NXT. A reminder before we get out of here of what's coming up. We will have AEW Double or Nothing pre show for you live on Twitter Spaces before the pay per view. So do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast uh, and subscribe to the podcast feed as well. But follow us at Getting Overcast. That way you can join that show. You'll also be able to vote in the live pre show poll there. Uh, as soon as the pay per view goes off the air, AEW Double or Nothing, we will have an instant analysis podcast. So make sure you subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you can hear that. Next Tuesday, we will be back with a WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. And then same bat time, same bat channel next Thursday. We will do the AEW Fallout, of course, from Double or Nothing, as well as NXT in your house. Ultimate Preview. With two pre shows and two instant analysis podcasts coming next weekend for the WWE shows. I appreciate all of you listening. As I said, don't forget to follow us at Getting Overcast. Please remember that Getting Over. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. Looking forward to doing the instant analysis of Double or Nothing. So I will talk to you all this weekend. But at this point, for Vintage Crispinini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein. Leaving you with three final weeks. Bye for now.